You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to talk to us this morning about the, the everyday nature of the gospel. That the gospel really should infiltrate every part of our lives and affect us and influence and impact every part of who we are. It's not just good news that we receive and say, wow, that's really cool. But it has implications to the everyday of our lives. We had Dr. Bob Gladstone, one of our uh, heroes of the faith and just a man we love and respect so much. And he was here a few weeks ago and he spoke from Romans chapter five and he said something kind of in passing that I've just been really thinking about. He said, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans and he's reminding them and reiterating them about the gospel, and they're already believers. And so he said, they have enough understanding to believe, but not enough understanding to be transformed. And this is the place that many a believer will, will, will stay. We, ha- we, we believe it, we can come to all these doctrinal agreements or theological statements, but it hasn't affected inwardly, the inward change, transformation of the heart. And so it becomes more behavior modification, a checklist, measurables, how well am I doing, how well am I not, instead of allowing the spirit of God to come and do the inward work that only he can do. And so if the Lord has transformed you inwardly, it will have outward implications, will it not? The things that we think about, the things that we talk about, the things that we do, will directly correlate to this inward transformation that you and I have experienced. And so you'll find that a lot of Paul's writings, most of Paul's writings, reiterate the gospel and then those implications that those gospels have on our lives. If you'll notice, a lot of Paul's writings are about how we should treat one another. So we might think that the situations that we face are especially unique but there's nothing new under the sun and the same things that we have experienced, the, the betrayal, the backbiting, the gossip, whatever it is, um, Paul addresses those things as well. He addresses all sorts of crazy things that hopefully in our body we will never have to address. Uh, suing each other, <laughs> uh, um, uh, sleeping with your mother-in-law, things like that. Um, unfortunately, Paul had to go there. So Ephesians chapter four, everything in this life, it's a cross-centered, a Jesus-centered life. So in verse 17, he says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Listen, if Paul is saying a statement like that, we need to listen. We need to listen to all the words, but it's like when Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Or verily, verily. It means listen up. I'm about to let a truth bomb go. So listen. And he's not just saying just listen, but I'm insisting in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now remember, he is speaking to Gentiles. <laughs> these are Greeks. He's, he's speaking to a, uh, these, this Ephesian church. These are Gentiles. And so this, 
is the, the nature of the gospel, that we are not who we used to be. That doesn't mean that we disavow our heritage. That's not what this is talking about, but he's, he's, it's his principle in the kingdom of you are not who you used to be. Thank God. And he says, don't live like you used to live and don't live like the world lives. The church has gotten itself in a real difficult position in, in, in an effort to be relevant to the world. We've been irrelevant because there's nothing that separates us from the world. What separates us? What's our distinctive from the world? It's the presence of God. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the presence of God among us and in us, the, the transformation of a life that gives us a testimony that says, I was once laying in a bed and I couldn't walk and Jesus changed me and touched me. So we no longer live in the futility of our thinking. What is that? Or vanity of our thinking. This is like the, the meaningless, the pointless things. To think about yourself only. This fleshly thinking. He goes on to say in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. It's, it's only natural that when we don't know Jesus, we think about our, only ourselves. Because when we only have ourselves as a defense, man, we better be thinking about it because that is an exhausting place to live. But when we follow Jesus, then we come defenseless before him and he becomes our defense. He becomes our sustaining power. He is our faith, our hope. He is the love that we cling to. This is him. And so we don't think about ourselves the way that we used to anymore in the, with, with the, the, the fleshly or the, the meaningless ways in which we used to think, only of ourselves. And when we do that, we are looking to ourselves as God. And so then we separate ourselves from the life of God. And this is the nature of sin, isn't it? It's not that death is punishment for sin. It's that sin leads us away from the source of life. It separates us from the source of life. It cuts us off from the source of life. This is what hell will be. Hell is just completely void of God. There's no, no hope of hope. No hope of peace. Nothing. It's completely cut off from God. And so sin leads us to that place. It cuts us off from the Lord. But what is it? It's the, the ignorance due to the hardening of our hearts. Listen to me this morning. Having a soft and tender heart towards the God, towards God, is of the utmost importance in your life. Importance in your life. We need to keep the crusties off our heart. We need to shake the dust off our heart. We need to keep it from being hard. How do we soften our hearts to the Lord? Well, one of the ways is worship. Remember Psalm 135, it says, the idols of the world are made of gold and silver. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have mouths, but they cannot speak, and they have no breath. And those who worship them will become like them. The hardening of the heart is... Starting that place of looking inwardly for answers, 
for validation and justification. Instead of worship pulls us upward, doesn't it? It fills us full of faith, where God, where Jesus is more real than anything that we face. We can sing over and over and over, there is no one like you, Jesus. There is no one like you. I look at my life, and I think there's no other possibility of the testimony of my life than Jesus. Listen, I would be dead in a ditch somewhere or in prison if not for Jesus. I would waste my life in the futility of my own mind and my own hard heart if it wasn't for Jesus. So that's why we can sing. That's why I can sing. I don't know why you can, but I can sing. There is no one like you, Jesus. There is no one like you. There's no one that can do what you do, Jesus. So keep your heart soft to the Lord. Keith Green, an old radical, he used to say, Lord, I I pray that there'd be baby skin on my heart. (laughs) Just sensitive to the, the slightest of touch. Our life wouldn't be too loud and noisy that we wouldn't be able to hear the whispers of God. But instead, our hearts are tender towards him. So that, in verse 19, they having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Paul talks about the same things, the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, where he, he has this long list of all these horrible things that people do. And he's not saying that all of us are guilty of murder or slander or fits of rage or whatever it is. But inside each one of us is the, is, we are capable of it, the flesh. What does he say in Galatians, 6, uh, Galatians chapter 6? He says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. If you sow in the flesh, you will reap in the flesh. A man who sows in the spirit will reap in the spirit. And what did Jesus say? The flesh counts for nothing. A little bit maybe, Jesus? A little? No, nothing. But the spirit gives life. When our hearts become hard, We start down this path, we think, how did I ever get here? And so we live this cross-centered life. Jesus, everything in this life must pass through the cross. We live this cross-centered life. We say every day, Jesus, this life that I live is yours. I place my life into your hands. I place my family, my kids into your hands. Do you know in the hands of the Lord is the safest place your kids can be? So you don't need to worry. You don't need to hang on tightly to them. Jesus loves your children more than you do. Lord, I trust you with my future, with my career, with any promotions I seek to have one day. Lord, I trust you with it. I give it to you, Jesus. I place it. I take it out of my control, and I give it to you, Lord. And so again, if, we, if that's difficult for us, it's because we don't see him the way we ought. To know the Lord is to trust him more every single day. Do you know that song? That old song, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him more and more. 
the end of the chorus is, oh, for grace to trust him more. Do you know the woman who wrote that song wrote it after her two sons and husband drowned? So in the midst of such pain, she can sing the song, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How he's proved himself over and over and over. Oh, for grace to trust him more, Lord. Give us grace to trust you, Jesus. Give us grace to trust you, Lord. Verse 20. So he's contrasting this old way of Gentile living, of worldly living. Verse 20, he says, That, however, is not the way that you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Do not forget the things we have learned. The basics and the things of God have, have been a lost art form in our day and age. To spend time alone with him. To allow his word to search us and not search the scriptures looking for answers to validate our arguments. Allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. To proclaim the goodness of God to those who will hear. We've lost those things. And listen, I, I, me and Pastor Drew, we have, we'll have pastors that will call us who are struggling and want prayer and encouragement. And I'll ask them about the first things, the place of worship, loving the Lord more than anything else, more than ministry. And I hear this phrase a lot. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got that. But I want like the how-to. I want the one, two, three fix. That's what I want. But it's exactly what Paul is talking about here. It's not the way you've learned. He says at the beginning of chapter four, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Each one of you have received a calling on your life. That doesn't mean it's your job or what you're going to do. It just does mean an aspect of, 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 of God in which you are, God put in you to communicate to the world. Part of who God is, that he has said in you, Bryce, I want you to show the world that I am faithful, that I'm good, or whatever it is. So we live our lives worthy of this calling, and we do not forsake the first things. Get alone with the Lord. Get alone with him. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its evil, deceitful desires. To be made new in attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created, in a, created to be like God in true righteousness and holier. Second Timothy says that, in chapter one, it says that he saved us and he called us to be holy. So this gospel isn't just that we've been saved and washed clean, but now we walk in holiness. Worthy of the calling that's been placed on our lives. And we put off the old self. I look at the old self like an ex-girlfriend. It's like I've cut things off. I want nothing to do with you. But then every once in a while she calls. <laughs> and you're like, this person is the bane of my existence. Why would I answer the phone? You're like, hello? <laughs> oh, you've changed. <laughs> Idiot. No, no. No, no. I don't have ex-girlfriends that call me anymore. So. 
But I look at it like that, right? That old flesh, you can come back tomorrow if you wanted to. That's why daily, you, put, you daily take up your cross. Jesus said in all the gospels, you take up your cross and you follow Jesus daily. You put off the old and you put on the new. The old is full of deceitful desires. All of us, if we allow ourselves in the flesh to take hold in our life, are capable of all sorts of things. So what are you feeding yourself? What are you feeding your mind and your heart? What are the things that you allow in? What are you allowing to speak into your life? Years ago, Kayla and I took a trip to Seattle because Drew and Tanya were living there. And, went, and we took an underground, or they had like an underground tour of Seattle. It's really interesting. But they talked about how they used to pump all the sewage into the ocean. 100 years ago, they would pump it into the ocean and they said, then they would just hope that it would flow down to Tacoma. <laughs> but think of your life that way. Think of your life like a body of water, like a lake. And imagine just all of a sudden, you're just dumping sewage into it. Just constantly dump, dumping sewage into it. Listen, if you came up to a lake like that, would you want to jump into that lake? There's like slime and goo on the top of it. You'd be like, oh, this looks great. Let's jump right in. No. But we pump all of these things into our life that are not, they might not even be sinful. They're just not helping you. They're not taking you to the places the Lord wants to take you. And so why would we waste our time on it? I know idols don't look necessarily where we live like they do in the Bible, like gold or bronze statues, but idols are still alive and well today. They're the things that take our attention, our focus, our energy, our time, endless hours wasted on things that are pointless. So how do you cut the sewage out? You stop it. You, st you put a cap on the, on the, the pipes, say, I'm not going to know. And over time, you start to treat the water. It becomes clean. It begins somewhere where people want to be. You want to swim there. You want to fish there. You want to spend time. You might even be able to drink the water. But you have, we, have to, we have to say, stop, no, no, no more. I'm going to say no to this flesh. I'm putting it off now. Imagine it like, like that, like taking off old clothes, old shoes, and putting, them off, and putting on something new that the Lord has given to you. So continuing on, verse 25, he says, Therefore, each, must, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbors, for we are all members of the body. Falsehood, your, your uh, version might say lying. And so I think sometimes we can read the Bible and be like, oh, sweet, uh, that's not me. So I don't have to worry about that one, thank God. Unfortunately, that is not the case. He's talking about falsehood, like a false way of living. Why was Jesus so hard on the, on the, the Pharisees? Because outwardly they were proclaiming something was a reality when inwardly it was not a reality. What do you say in Matthew 23? You're like, you're like a, a, a dish that on the outside you wash the dish, but on the inside it's full of all sorts of disgusting things. You're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside look beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and all sorts of abominations. No, you silly Pharisees, 
clean the inside of the cup and the outside will be, will be clean. So we put aside falsehoods, the pretense, the facade. You don't have to wear your dirty laundry on your sleeve, but listen, that desire that we have to be like, have it all together in front of everybody, that is not pleasing to the Lord. In fact, that, that word falsehood is, is like the word hypocrisy. And I've heard people say, and I've said it myself, like, oh, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. And I understand the sentiment. Like, we're just, you know, we're all trying our best, but we're, we're not perfect. But that's not what hypocrite means. Hypocrite biblically means it's an actor reading from a script. And it's one of the most dangerous places to be, to learn and master the lingo, but not understand the inward realities of transformation from, from Jesus. So we must be careful that we're not just playing the part. Jesus, remember the, 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 the parable of the Pharisee and the sinner, the tax collector? The Pharisee comes into the temple and he's like, thank God I'm not like that sinner over there. I'm so great and I've got it all together. And the sinner was in the way back, this tax collector, and said, Lord, have mercy on me. And he said, which one was the Lord pleased with? The one who had humility of heart, a repentant heart, I said, Jesus, have mercy on me. The Lord would have something, would desire something real, even if it's small, than a lot of something that's fake. He wants it real. That's why the, the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. He'd rather have something be real and authentic than huge and lavish and just be fake. Husbands, fathers, you owe it to your families to step into a place of leadership within your family. That says, I'm gonna be a man of God. I'm going to lead in all ways. Which I'm gonna lead in the place of prayer. I'm gonna lead in the place of humility. I'm gonna lead in the place of repentance. It's not about perfection, and it's not about having all the answers biblically, biblically, but it's about being a catalyst for the presence of the Lord in your home and in your relationship. It's about having a tender heart. It's taking responsibility for the things that God has entrusted you. Reject passivity. Listen to me, reject passivity. It is your enemy. But listen, the, the other side of passivity is not a, a authoritative lordship. It's leadership, which says, I'm going to rise up and be the man that God has called me to be. Amen. Not a lot of amens on that one, but that's okay. <laughs> Our world needs strong men, not outwardly, but inwardly. Men who know who they are in the Lord. Men of courage and faith. Men who will say, I will follow Jesus even if no one comes with me. The one who will lead out into battle before everyone else. In verse 26, it says, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You hear that at a lot of weddings. 
Don't ever go to bed angry. I'm sorry, that's not what, what it's talking about. I think that's a great principle. If it, I don't know that that's the reality of a lot of marriages, but sometimes you're just mad at each other and you go to bed. <laughs> we'll, try, we'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> He's talking about bitterness and resentment. He's saying, don't let bitterness take root in your heart. It's like the finish of a day, what's done is done. He's, not, he's saying, don't let anger take root in your heart. And he's not even saying that anger is wrong. Anger is the one forbidden emotion among Christians. I want you to know today, there's no right or wrong emotions. There are just emotions. I know we like to feel certain ones above others, but there are no wrong emotions. But a lot of times why anger scares us so much is because we have so many other emotions within us that we don't know how to express or deal with that it all just comes out as anger. This again is why we need to be with the Lord. This is why we need to be in fellowship. We need to be able to learn how to express what's going on in our hearts, to process emotions as they come so that we don't explode and do things that we didn't wish we didn't do. It's like for a lot of men, I've realized that there's kind of two emotions. They shot a deer or caught a fish and they're happy. That's the only time you'll, they'll smile. You get, reach a certain age for some reason that you stop smiling in pictures only, but only if you caught a fish or shot a deer, then you can smile. <laughs> but in your anger, do not sin. In verse 28, he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those who are in need. Again, this is another one. You're like, I might not, I don't steal. You know, I don't steal a candy bar from the convenience store or, you know, something from JCPenney's, which I guess I just told you my high school experience. <laughs> but he's not talking, he's talking this principle of, you used to do things this way, but now allow the Lord to take those things and do something good with them. So you used to use your hands for a way that hurt people, that stole things that were not yours. Now use your hands for something useful. For me, it was like I used to use my mouth to tear people down. And now the Lord has taken my mouth and redeemed it and used it to build people up. And this is the nature of the kingdom, taking that which was thrown away or disregarded or perverse, or whatever it is, and now redeem it and make it something beautiful. And this is what he does with each one of our lives. So that we might have something to share with those who are in need. Amen. Verse 29. Scott, would you come to the keys? This is uh, one you should all underline in your Bible. Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth but only that which is good for helping, for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Would you describe your, how you talk in that way? That's a, man, that is a high calling that we need the grace of the Lord, isn't it? Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification. Edification means to build up. That people can actually experience the grace of God by your words, the things that you say. What does Proverbs say? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. What did Jesus say? 
Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So again, it's not just about like, well, I, I want to start talking better. No, we need to inst- in inward transformation. This is the gospel. Taking the heart of stone and giving a heart of flesh. This is the gospel. It's not about trying a little harder. Listen, we partner with the Lord, but it's so much more than that. It's Lord doing a, a work in your life, a lasting work in your life. He says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's speaking there about the attitudes of the heart and the mind. The enemy does not have access to your mind and your heart. I just want you to know that. But the Lord does. Sometimes we're more uh, in, in fear of the enemy than we are of the Lord. <laughs> do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we honor people, that starts in your heart. It starts inwardly. What are the, the narratives in, in your heart towards people, towards your spouse, towards your boss? who can be a real jerk? What is the attitude of your heart towards that person? Do you see them with the eyes of Jesus? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What are the things that you're putting in when you find yourself on that endless cycle on YouTube? Or what you're putting into your mind? Is the Holy Spirit blushing? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Verse 31, and get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. If we can get rid of it, it means that we also can hold on to it. And what is the path forward? The path forward is repentance. Lord, I've been aligning myself with things that are not of you. I've been holding on to things that I should not have been holding on to. And now I turn from those things and I turn to you, Jesus. Come help me. Give me grace to forgive the way that you forgive, forgave. And that's what he says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I, I walk with people enough to know it. We can't just say, you just got to forgive. The Bible says forgive, so just forgive. Listen, that is a very shallow form of forgiveness. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness starts with repentance in your heart first. That says, Lord, I've aligned myself, like I just said, with things that you are not saying and you're not doing. And I repent of that. Help me to see this person the way that you see them. And once the Lord does that, then you are able to forgive. I forgive them for acting the way they treated me, the way they betrayed me for what they did to me. They are broken themselves. They don't see the way that they should see. All of a sudden, your eyes are opened. And we can forgive just as Christ forgave us. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Isn't it amazing that he put those words in there? He didn't say, just follow God's example. But he says, therefore, as dearly loved children, why can he be worthy of being trusted? Because he laid down his life for us, and this is how we know what love is. We can follow him because 
He is an example, as 1 Peter 2 says, he's an example to us in all things. He goes before us in all things. He's shown us the way in all things. He's overcame every temptation that mankind can face. He overcame it so we can follow him. He is trustworthy in all of his promises, Psalm 145 says. He is faithful. He cannot help but be faithful. His dearly loved children, you follow him. So walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. Just as Christ loved you. May we love one another. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.